Welcome to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a view of culture, current events, and politics through a biblical lens, with your hosts, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, and John Rush. Now let's join the conversation. Well, here we are. A new year is upon us. Say bye-bye to 2019. Say hello to 2020. And we're going to talk about this now here on this Crawford Roundtable podcast uh, with, of course, the guys. It's always great having them uh, with us. Uh, John Rush, Roger Marsh, Neil Boron, myself, Bob Duco. Gentlemen, how are you? Happy 2020 to you. Happy New Year. Happy Bob, happy yes. 20 to you, too. Well, happy New Year to you, too. So there's a few things we want to talk about. We want to look back at 2019 and look forward to 2020 in many different realms, the realm of politics, the realm of culture and entertainment, the realm of the church, the body of Christ. But first, let's just talk a little bit about uh, how everybody Chris, how's everybody's uh, Christmas go? How did, uh, how did that go, gentlemen? Do you have a, Neil, how was Christmas for you? How's Christmas every year at the Boron household? <laughs> Love Christmas every single year. Awesome time with family and friends. And, uh, you know, we talk about it all the time, the idea that it's the, we remember that God came to earth for us, but it is a time of year when for some reason that becomes all the more real. And I have a grateful heart as we head into 2020. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world, but very grateful that we've got a Savior to help lead us through it. Yeah, tell me about it. Hey, so John, what's like? I mean, what's it like for you? The transition. I mean, are you, do, do you do you get into the? Hey, you know, it's a new year. Or you look back on twenty nineteen, going forward to twenty twenty, or is it just like, well, you know what, January first, another day. No, I mean, for me, being you know self employed, you know, the majority. Well, I've been self employed since I was twenty two. So for me, yeah, the new year's always been one where you know you reestablish your goals. You look at what we're going to try to accomplish. You know, per- personal wise, business wise, and in the next year and you know you sort of put the old year behind and get all of your things done business-wise tax-wise and so on and you get yourself prepared for the new year and yeah for me it's typically uh, i try to take some time even between you know the christmas and new years which i'm doing now to you know to be able to kind of reflect back on what happened and you know what can i change moving into the next year and you know whether that be personal spiritual business radio shows all that sort of stuff and just look at how can we you know, how can I do things differently in the upcoming year? Right. And then, uh, Roger, for yourself, we were poking fun at you last week about uh, the Christmas, what Christmas is like <laughs> in Southern California. How does that work as far as New Year goes? Too? I mean, the rest of us are all freezing in our parkas, and you guys head mm-hmm. out to Venice Beach. So uh, what's New Year's kind of like for, <laughs> for you guys? Well, it is a little surreal in the sense that the seasons on the West Coast go something like this. You've got summer. You got summer, and then basically once Christmas is over on the 26th, it immediately becomes spring. So we really don't have any kind of big reflective transition here because you guys think I'm kidding. No, I'm seriously. I mean, we expect the weather to turn. I mean, and so in terms of planning ahead, moving forward, there's a lot more just business as usual as opposed to, uh, gosh, I'm going to make resolutions and that type of stuff. I mean, it's always been that way uh, for me personally. I like to be, you know, setting goals and, and, and moving forward. But I think especially this year, you know, as far as what's coming off the holidays in the Marsh household is the transition, of course, with, uh, you know, my fiance and I getting married and and kind of the family dynamics changing. So if I'm a little myopic in that answer, um, that's the reason why. (laughs) Well, that's cool. I mean, let's let's look back a little bit at at 2019. And and I know that there's uh, before we get into some of the specifics of politics and culture and and the church and such, how about just an overall general sense? I, I mean, Neil, I'm curious when you look at the new year, 
Do you tend to have a sense of optimism that, hey, 2020 is, it has to be, and it's probably going to be better than 2019 in all areas across the board? Or is it like, no, we've, we're gone over the crest, we're just sliding down, and it's one year closer to Sodom and Gomorrah? And I mean, how do you tend, do you tend to look optimistically or pessimistically into the new year? Probably a little bit of both, to be honest. I feel like, you know, I uh, kind of ride the wave of emotion depending on what's going on. But I generally, I'm optimistic because I believe with God all things are possible and that his yeah. mercy is new every morning. I'm not trying to over-spiritualize. I'm just saying that we, we serve the living God who created the universe and ultimately sits on the throne. And nothing comes to pass unless he commands it, it says in Lamentations 3. So, like, he's aware of what's happening in our world. So, in that sense, I'm always optimistic. But on the other hand... You know, I'm getting older, as we all are, and I look at the pace at which life is moving and the seeming disregard people have for, you know, common decency and stuff like that, and and that's a real concern. And I worry, I've got three grandkids now, and Lord willing, at some point, more on the way. Um, that would be a great blessing to our family, but, you know, I look at the world they're growing up in, and I grieve to some degree, just thinking back to my own childhood and how carefree it seemed, but... There's stuff going on in the world today that we never thought of, unless you went to a horror movie or mm -hmm. something. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's probably a mixed bag, but generally, I think, primarily optimistic. That's, I guess that's how I feel about really? it. Really? All right. And that's kind of interesting, because I, I feel like Debbie Downer, I'll be honest with you, I, I tend to lean on the, the pessimistic side, because I, I, just, I feel like we're all on one big Titanic, and we know that. I mean, Jesus told us what it was going to be like leading up to his return, right? It'll be as it was in the right. days of Lot, as it was in the days of Noah. And so I do see us going more and more down that road. We, we can have temporary reversals. You know, if I was on the Titanic, I'd be bailing water as fast as I can to try to slow down <laughs> the sinking. But the bottom yeah. line, it's still going to sink. And so I just... I guess I feel like, all right, well, it, the the escalator that we have, the down escalator that we have to run up as Christians just gets a little steeper and steeper toward 90 degrees every year, it seems. And so mm -hmm. we, we, we Good trust way to put the Lord. It. We put our, our hope and faith in him. Jesus Christ is Lord no matter what. But it just seems like it's, we go more and more against the grain as believers in Christ in this world as it continues to fall farther and farther away from God. So I guess that would put me in the pessimistic category, but I'm optimistic in that I know that Jesus Christ is Lord no matter what. Maybe it'll draw more people to him. So, I mean, I don't know. Roger, Ryan, what's your take? Do you tend to be optimistic or pessimistic going into a new year? Well, I like to say the answer to that for me is I like to be realistic. And that's a kind of a, bless, a blending of sure. the two when you get right down to it. I mean, I, I would love to, to focus on, you know, whatever is good, true and pure and lovely. I mean, I think we have a biblical mandate to do that. But as we see, and we've all, you know, we're all contemporaries. Uh, we've all grew up in, all grew up in the uh, area, you know, kind of that way uh, where we've kind of had a certain measure of thinking um, that, you know, the, the, when you see what's been happening now and the fact that a study after study is starting to surface where just on the physiological side of the things, when you see or hear something negative, it has a tendency to kind of stay with you longer than the positive thoughts. Uh, there was a study out of UCLA years ago, talked about words of affirmation, and that's purely on the psychological and scientific side of it. But I think spiritually, it's hard for us as spiritual beings who are walking around, you know, as creatures. And when you see, you know, what's happening to the culture and and the you know destruction of family values and you know the, the the issues that we all face it's hard not to be 
like you said, Bob, you know, we'll hop on that Debbie Downer wagon and say, you know, it's all going through. We'll we'll bail out the water as fast as we can, but it's hard not to be influenced by that. Yeah, I know. John, pick us up, man. Talk us off the ledge. How do you tend to look at going into a new year? I I guess I'm different than you guys. I always look at it in a positive light. You know, you put the old year behind you. We're going to make changes and do things differently in the upcoming year. I tend to be... I'm, I'm very realistic. I mean, I talk about that even on my radio program each day. It's called Rush to Reason for a Reason because I look at things pretty reasonably, but I probably look at them more on an optimistic, reasonable sense than I would on a pessimistic, reasonable sense. So I tend to be the opposite. I look at each new year as an opportunity to you know put the old things behind. Let's work on some things that are new. Let's try to make the positive changes we need to. And you know, as, as the salt and light of the world, I, I think that's our mantra to do so as Christians. Yeah, well, I guess I'll I feel you. pessimistic about my ability to do that, John. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, what about the spiritual giants that you know that, that you are, John? So that's what it is. You know, I wouldn't say that either. <laughs> Slackers still trying to figure it out, uh, but no, it's a, it's a great point that you bring up. Well, let's talk about some of the specific areas of the old year and the new year. Uh, let, let's deal with the issue of politics i don't know guys kind of a slow political year you know has anything really been going on politically that much oh i don't know uh, so hmm. neil let me toss it to you i mean what are your thoughts and observations first of all about 2019 what happened i mean history was made we had a president that was impeached yet again now i consider it a sham impeachment quite frankly but uh bottom line Trump has been a force to be reckoned with, whether you love him or hate him. And I'm a Trump supporter now. I wasn't before, really, but I have become one. Uh, But the bottom line, this is a presidency different than anything I've ever seen in my life. Uh, And uh, so what's your take on 2019 in the political realm? Overall, yeah, um, a lot of concern and disappointment, actually. You know, I mentioned the word lack of or the phrase lack of civility earlier. It's hard to believe where we've come from and where we've gotten to. I mean, in the past, there was always, you know, rivalry between the political parties. There's there's nothing anymore except partisanship. I mean, if, if anybody could even claim that anything's bipartisan, I would doubt it. You know, like right. um, the, the bottom line is that I think that um, we live in a world that's getting further and further polarized. Everything from good and evil to, dar- you know, um, darkness and light and Republican and Democrat. And it's like people don't talk to each other anymore. They just talk at one another. And I know some of this has come up on previous podcasts, but. Um, you look at that document, you know, out of, you know, the president's phone call to the Ukrainian president and you've got the Republicans saying there's absolutely no quid pro quo. And you've got the Democrats saying, of course, look at he's so guilty. If you just look at what's here, it's it's uh, obvious guilt on the part of the president. And you're going, wait a second. It's the same document. Nobody's seen any commonality here, but. Um, I think that's just indicative of what's happening in politics in general. And then, of course, you know, with uh, the House uh, now belonging to the Democrats, there's even more hostility between them and the president. And I'm if you talk about pessimism, I'm very pessimistic about where we're headed just based on where we've been in 2019. And I guess there's specifics we'll be talking about. But generally, uh, I'm pretty disturbed by what I saw with my own eyes and heard with my own ears in 2019. 
You know, I want to ask you about that, specifically the polarization factor of this, because there's an aspect of that I want to go into, Neil, as we continue on this National Crawford Roundtable podcast short break, and we'll pick it up uh, next as we work through this day's episode. Be transformed by the Word of God with Alistair Begg in Truth for Life. Every weekday, Alistair Begg teaches the Bible through in-depth, verse-by-verse attention to the Word of God. You can listen to Truth For Life on your local Crawford Broadcasting Station or listen online at truthfullife.org. Please support this important ministry with your donations at the truthfullife.org website or by calling 888-588-7884 and be sure to let them know you heard about Truth For Life from the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Continuing on this National Crawford Roundtable podcast with Neil Boron, Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York, Roger Marsh, the bottom line out of Southern California, John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver, myself, Bob Duco, Bob Duco Show out of Detroit. You know, Neil, you were talking about 2019 and the realm of politics and just how polarized we've become. And you know, I was thinking of something as you said that. I do remember back, remember when Ronald Reagan was president and how Mm -hmm. the Republicans and Democrats, they would do battle with each other, but they would then, uh, when the day was over, they'd go all out and have drinks together, you know, and it's almost like they were, they were friends with each other. And the verbiage you would hear very often is, you know, to my friend, to my colleague, to my whatever. So you knew that these guys were drinking buddies. Okay. Tip O'Neill and the, and the Republicans would all get together and be friends, social parties and such, but they would do battle politically. Now, of course, I can't imagine uh, I, I can't imagine Nancy Pelosi and Mark Meadows going out and having <laughs> drinks together. I can't imagine yeah. Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell on the racquetball court. Well, I can't imagine either one of them on the racquetball court anyway. But, <laughs> but so you can't picture that anyway. And so, Neil, the automatic assumption is that that's a bad thing. And by the way, I... I tend to agree with you. My immediate reaction is, yes, I hearken back to those days where we could have civility and friendship while having political disagreements. But let me play devil's advocate. Pardon the term for just a moment. Is it, is it possible, Neil, that the polarization is actually a more positive thing than we perceive it to be because there's an authenticity and transparency that comes with that in that people are being honest about what they're feeling and experiencing instead of just playing a bunch of games because when they all got together and drank at night it was all deal making well you know it's like where was any conviction did anybody have any Mm -hmm. true conviction or was it just okay well let's i'll tell you what i'll trade you boardwalk and park place for uh you know for marvin gardens and whatever so let's just make our deals and whatever we don't really have any convictions we'll just deal make and keep each other in power uh is it possible and again i'm playing devil's advocate but is it possible, Neil, that that was actually not healthier than it is right now where, look, this is what I feel. This is right. This is wrong. And no, I'm going to fight for this. And if we become political enemies, so be it, as long as we still try to talk in a civil way, which I know that's not happening either. But mm-hmm. it, can an argument be made that there's at least some authenticity and transparency and genuineness of position that's coming out in this polarization movement. Yeah, and if there was an optimistic shred to be seen anywhere in there, you just found it. So thank you for doing that because it it is an important point to be made. At least maybe people aren't just saying things because it's what they think someone else ought to hear. They're actually saying what they believe. 
and uh, you know have attached themselves to and so then we're getting an opportunity to deal with truth as opposed to um, you know talking points that are designed to sway the masses without really telling the truth so I guess that's a good thing and we know scripturally speaking that there's a sifting that's going to be going on in the last days and so the um, the distance between good and evil, light and darkness, should become all the clearer. And I, I'm not saying, by the way, that everything Democrats say is bad and everything Republicans say is good. Um, I happen to be uh, a registered Republican, and so I generally agree with what the Republicans say. But overall, I think what you said is absolutely profound, that there's a whole lot less, um, whatever the word is I'm looking for here, there's a whole lot less of people just wanting to hear what everyone else is you know is saying whatever what they think everyone else wants them to hear and actually telling the truth and that it ultimately has got to be a good thing even though it creates a, an atmosphere for hostility and i think the media loves to jump on that kind of thing right. and so you know it just amps it up to the next level well john let me bring you in on this the people look at polarization and the automatic assumption is it's a, a bad thing and people say you know can't we all just get along why can't we get no. along why do they have it's to do, be doing so much battle but i gotta be honest with you i don't necessarily want everybody in washington to get along I don't if want it means even compromising along. my principles and values well and besides that no offense guys we don't need any more laws we don't need any more rules we don't need any more regulations the reality is if they all go to washington and fight and get nothing done we as a country are a lot better off so frankly give me the polarization i'll take it all day long yeah all right Uh, roger i mean what's what's your take on that look if if everybody in washington could get along i suppose i'd be okay with that if it meant the democrats saying, okay, we'll go ahead and agree to pro-life legislation. We'll go ahead and agree to marriage being between one man and one woman. We'll go ahead and agree to reduce government programs and government dependency programs to help the poor. We'll, I mean, if they come over to uh, the positions that I believe are more godly and biblical positions, then, hey, I'd love to have unity if, if that's what it means. But I don't necessarily want unity for the sake of unity if it means that conservatives or Republicans are going to compromise and cave. Yeah, the only unity that we as Christians really need to be concerned with, and I know this sounds polarizing, but uh, it's John 13, 34, and 35. Within the body of Christ, there must be unity. That's a command from Jesus. It's not a request. When it comes to politics, I think because the prevailing attitude overall in the country was we were founded on Christian principles, the Bible is the ultimate standard, there is a God whether you believe in him or not, that made it a lot easier for us to give ourselves the illusion that, that we had this kind of bipartisanship, if you will, that people would try to work together. I think what we're seeing right now, and this may be the greatest legacy for me of the Donald Trump presidency, is that draining of the swamp is not just on Capitol Hill. It's the whole culture. I mean, really just choosing when you've got the Democrat Party, a third of whom are pro-lifers basically saying we support abortion up until birth you know i mean that 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 Mm -hmm. far sweeping legislation and if you're a pro-lifer and you want to identify as part of the democrat party you have to basically renounce that part of who you are that's just one of many examples where we're seeing you know not to make good guys and bad guys but uh, forget the d and r and elephant and donkey i mean those of us who are under the lamb, basically, it's our political symbol, are looking at the culture and saying, yeah, I mean, I agree with John. If we've gotten to the point now where we shouldn't expect our politicians to go to the state houses and, and have some kind of bipartisanship kumbaya moment, there's good, there's evil. We're looking to support the people who stand up for the good and fight for it. 
Right. Well, okay, but like, can I jump in for a second here? Uh, What came to mind, Roger, as you were talking, and thank you for what you just shared. um, I agree 100% that if we're going to seek real unity, it needs to be first and foremost and primarily within the body of Christ, because that's, as believers, what we're commanded to do. But by and large, African-Americans have voted Democrat over the years. Um, White evangelicals have voted Republican. And some of that's starting to change a little bit. In fact, I think some of the poll numbers more recently showed a more favorable attitude towards the president and the Republican Party right now based on employment rates and on where the economy is and stuff like that. But but the truth is that there's a whole lot of disunity politically between believers who are black and believers who are white. And this is probably not the best place to talk about it, given that we're four white guys here. But with Martin Luther King Day coming up in just a, you know a few weeks I think it's important that we ask that question. It's a question I want to know the answer to, and it's one I plan to talk about on my own radio show, but the idea of, like, what does biblical unity look like with brothers and sisters in Christ who are beholden to the opposite party that I happen to be a part of politically? How how do we do that? How do we accomplish something like that? What's it even look like? Actually, that's a very important point, Neil, I think, for us to dive into. And I know we got to take a break here in, uh, in just a minute, but let's talk about that a little bit. What do we do with the fact that we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are supporting policies and politicians and candidates that are promoting ungodliness, like the abortion agenda, the LGBT and transgenderism movement, restricting religious freedoms and such, uh, perpetuating poverty by keeping people dependent on government programs. That's not the biblical model. Open borders and such. These aren't the biblical model. What do we do, Neil, with that 25% of self-described evangelical Christians who support the Democratic Party and their candidates? Well... since Roger brought it up, I'm going to make him answer the question after our break. Because <laughs> no, I know that Roger's going to, have, he's going to have something really profound to say. No, but listen, I mean, <laughs> let's be honest that's, that some of those same people look at conservative white evangelical Republicans and say, how could you be so unbiblical as to not allow people to come from other parts of the world and just walk into your country? You know, why do we have these borders? Why are we being so unfair to refugees and stuff like that? Why does something like that matter? That's so unchristian the way you're... In other words, they're they're very convinced that we're not dealing with that in a Christ-like way. So in fairness, let's just say that it's possible that we're seeing that issue for sure from two different perspectives but i know we need to take a break so why don't we do that and we'll be back in just a moment learn how to walk the narrow path with steve gregg with over 40 years of studying the bible steve gregg is passionate about teaching you how to apply scriptural wisdom to every aspect of your life listen to the narrow path on your local crawford broadcasting station or online at the narrowpath.com the narrow path is 100 percent listener supported Please keep this vital ministry going with your generous financial support and let them know you heard about The Narrow Path on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. You're listening to the National Crawford Roundtable. My name's Neil Boron. We've got Bob Duco in Detroit, Michigan, uh, John Rush in Denver, Colorado, and Roger Marsh in Southern California. I'm here in Buffalo, New York, and Roger promised that he was going to (laughs) fix this whole thing that we've just raised, this rat's nest of a question. Uh Uh, But I don't know, because Roger, when you were talking you struck a chord with me when you talked about biblical unity we do need to strive for that and sometimes the people we need to be unified with happen to exist on the other side of the political aisle so help Mm -hmm. 
Well, the thing that I would recommend, I mean, in a situation like that, because, I mean, I do take it seriously. I have family members who are registered Democrats and passionately committed to that platform, and yet we all profess faith in Christ. And so I look at that and say, okay, that doesn't square with the way I see biblical Christianity, so we have to find a way to at least, you know, get some language to talk to one another. One of the things that I found, and this is just, I don't want to sound like a pat answer, it's amazing how much common ground Christians really do have when you take the mention of party and candidate out of it. When you mm-hmm. talk about the actual issue, I found so many people will say, oh, well, you're a Christian. You don't love Trump, do you? It's like, well, no, I don't love Donald Trump. I don't worship Donald Trump. I think he's doing an excellent job as president, way beyond, exceedingly abundantly far beyond what we could have ever asked or imagined. But at the same time, I realize, you know, he's a little rough around the edges for some people. But even on my program, on the Bottom Line Show, I'll refer to the previous administration, the current administration, President 45, President 44. It's amazing how easy it is to disarm a lot of the common arguments we have with the polarization. If you say, okay, wait, you didn't like Barack Obama? I'll talk about what he did, not about his name, because people just go there. And I think when it comes to issues of race and gender and things like that, it's amazing how much common ground you really can find when you focus on what is the issue. So to back to the issue for us as Christians, first and foremost, it's a spirit that is connecting us. We're all part of the same body of Christ. And so we look different. We come from different parts of the country. We may have been brought up to think in terms of political ideologies or whatever that we kind of have to unlearn. If we can focus on the issues, I mean, the, the most important question in life is what are you going to do with Jesus, not who did you vote for in the last presidential election? So if you use that as a base and then realize, but we are called to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, you have the right to vote. Go vote. I, th- I think it's a sin for Christians to sit on their hands on Election Day and say, well, I don't want to be accused of you know, supporting some despot or you know, this, that, and the other thing. I-, I think that it's there's a biblical way to vote, a spiritual way to vote, as opposed to a political way to vote. Neil, I don't know if I answered your question, but I think uh, first and foremost for me, that unity with my brother and sister to say, where do we find the commonality? Because if we are one in spirit, we, I, I think we should be one in mind and heart as well. Yeah, and just to be clear, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I just wanted to hear the rest of what you would have to say about that because I thought you made a tremendous point. And uh, I don't know. I guess John Rush is going to fill in the blank with the rest of this, right? So he's <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> yeah, well, with that baton handoff, John, take it. Well, guys, I think you know one of the things that I've tried to do even on my own program, when, you know, we have a lot of liberal listeners that will, you know, call in, you know, we, we are, uh, you know, KLZ in Denver, which even though we're Christian owned, we're actually on a secular radio station. And so we have a lot of, you know, liberal and, and what I would call non-Christian listeners that, you know, may, may still have some Christian beliefs, but, you know, definitely are not full board Christians. You can just tell from talking to them that the majority, you know, are, at times are not. So what I've tried to do is separate in the case of Trump, for example, I've tried to separate the person from the policy. So one of the first things I'll ask somebody when they don't like Donald Trump is, you know, let's stop for one second, separate the person. Tell me what he's done, politically speaking, in regards to policies, you know, foreign policy, regulation, things like that. Tell me something he's done you don't like. And typically, guys, what I get is crickets because – there's nothing that they can really come up with that he's done that way that they don't like. But the press and the left has demonized him to the point where, you know, a good majority of the nation does not like him just because of who he is, not because of what he's done. 
That's a great point. Tell you what, hang on a second. Uh, we're going to pick up the second half of this podcast in just a minute. And uh, want to encourage everybody, you can listen to the second half of this podcast and all the National Crawford Roundtable podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more, or CrawfordBroadcasting.com. Don't mind asking you folks. Uh, maybe on your uh, Apple Podcast listening. You know, uh, go ahead and give us a review. How about a five-star review? We would love that if you would do that. But we're going to continue this second half uh, in just a moment here on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Continuing this National Crawford Roundtable with Neil Boron, Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York, Roger Marsh, the bottom line out of Southern California, John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver, myself, Bob Duco, the Bob Duco Show out of Detroit. And gentlemen, we're talking about the political aspect of this and the body of Christ. And before I get to, before we get off of the politics of this completely, I kind of want to chime in some of my thoughts here on this as we kind of wrap up the political part of this. I got to be honest with you, and maybe I'm just being a troublemaker here and unnecessarily divisive, but I know we don't want to make it about the candidate individually. I know we don't want to make it about the party specifically, you know, Republican versus Democrat. I'm not saying the Republican Party is the party of God and the Democratic Party is the party of Satan. Okay, But there's no getting past the fact that there are some big key issues. The Democratic Party is in bed with Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry, and they actively and openly support abortion through all nine months of pregnancy for any reason whatsoever, including birth control, and even in some cases beyond after the baby is being born. They actively support the LGBT agenda, redefining marriage in this country, and even forcing uh, girls in high school showers and locker rooms to have to go in there with boys who identify as girls uh, and forcing Christian business owners to have to violate their personal beliefs as Christians to either pay for abortion-causing drugs for their employees or to use their skills and talents to design wedding cakes or photograph or anything like this for gay weddings. I mean, this is the stuff that the Democratic Party is actively, aggressively pushing. And quite frankly, I believe that Christians who are given a voice and a vote in this country have a responsibility as believers in Christ not to, not to use their vote and voice in a way that changes the laws in favor of those kinds of issues. And when they do, I believe that we should, in a loving way, but in a direct way, challenge them call them on the carpet. And I know this is controversial, but I've said it on my show before. If you're a brother or sister in Christ and you vote Democrat, I'm not going to question your salvation. I'm not saying it's a salvation issue, but I am going to say I believe that you are wrong and what you are doing is an affront to an almighty God and it contradicts what it says in God's word. And you ought not be using your vote and your voice in a way that dishonors God and harms your neighbor the way that the Democratic Party does. I know that sounds harsh, but I kind of want to throw it back out to you guys. And um, Roger, what's your take on that? How do we handle Christians who support the Democratic Party and therefore are supporting those policies? Do we just say, well, you know, hey, that's okay. We can agree to disagree. Uh, should we challenge them or not? 
Oh, absolutely challenge. I think the, the, the question is not whether or not we challenge. The question is what weapons do we use? You know, if you mm-hmm. talk to somebody, like talk to someone in the African-American community who would say, okay, you know, I'm a big passionate supporter of Barack Obama. I hate Donald Trump, but I'm a Christian. You say, okay, great. Well, d- uh, that's where we start. Okay, I'm not great that you feel that way, but this <laughs> right. is where we start. And you start talking about, uh, you know, Planned Parenthood and the fact that they received almost twice as much money under the Obama administration as they did under George W. Bush. There are fewer, you know, abortion clinics. You talk about where they're strategically placed and then ask questions like, did you know in New York City there were actually more black babies aborted than live births last year? And you begin to see the scales kind of come off their eyes and you realize there's a lot of political ideology that is really steeped into why do African-Americans vote Democrat, for example. I think if we can, you know, what Ben Shapiro says, facts don't care about your feelings. I think mm-hmm. as Christians, we really are called to kind of look at this both ways. You know, you mentioned in our last podcast, First Peter 3.15, that whole giving an answer to everyone who asks with grace and respect, with grace and compassion. I mean, to be as, as merciful to other people as God has been to us in our sin, right. then when you knowing what we're talking about, instead of just saying, well, Donald Trump, because Donald Trump and the American flag. Well, I mean, that's not a really great argument for somebody, especially if they're put off by that. But when you start speaking the facts and start speaking the truth, you know, you're a Christian. Did you know that the largest uh, percentage of people religiously who support the Democratic Party are people who call themselves not religious? You know, a lot of people are blown away. They just kind of think, well, I'm Catholic and everybody in my parish, you know, votes Democrat. I didn't realize so few of us were actually supporting this party. I I think there's a way it's kind of a both end. I think definitely have the conversation. But if this is going to you know, cause somebody to stumble in terms of just the mention of Donald Trump's name, then okay, fine. Focus on the fact part of it then and lovingly come alongside. That's what, you know, the the rebuke and the exhortation is all about from where I said. Right. Well, Neil, let me let me ask you about this. So how do we find that that proper balance? Because I got to be honest with you, with me and my listeners, I get hammered on both sides. I I get some of them that say, Bob, I am sick and tired of you using terms like my liberal brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, no, you cannot be a Christian if you vote Democrat. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to go down that road. That's not fair. That's not right. Uh, But that doesn't mean that uh, we go to the other extreme, which is to say, hey, no problem, you know, Republican, Democrats, uh, the important thing is that we're all in Jesus and those aren't really important issues. Well, Jesus is most important, but I do think that the politics is an important issue. It is. And, you know, living in New York State, almost New York City basically controls everything that happens in New York State. So I live in Erie County, just outside Buffalo, New York, and it almost doesn't matter how we vote. Like, I do vote, and I take that seriously, but it almost doesn't matter how we vote on some statewide issues because New York City is going to carry the day and usually does, especially when it comes to liberal candidates and liberal causes and stuff like that. But, um, you know, as far as striking a balance, can I just interject something here that might be a little sure. off topic? But, like, I... I I'm very pleased with a number of things I've seen from our president, from Donald Trump and, and his, you know, feelings that our, our military needs to be strong, that our borders need to be secure, that he's been outspoken on the pro-life issue. And I would say, praise God for all of that. I, I like where he stands in that. I don't always like how he addresses people, how he demeans people. So there's those kind of things. But but like somebody mentioned the, the gay issue earlier, gay marriage. Uh, right after he was elected, he basically said, I'm not going to really go down that road. I'm not really going to bring that up as an issue. Gender equality, he's not really, as far as I know, you know, said much publicly about that. So shouldn't evangelicals, uh, as much as we support him on some issues, hold his feet to the fire on the others? Because I'm not sure that that's actually happening all the time. And to play devil's advocate for a minute, 
you know, there's an awful lot of people getting photo ops with the president in the Oval Office that I think ought to be saying, hey, but can we talk to you about something here that's of great concern? You know, like everything you said, Bob, about, you know, boys going into the girls' room, bathroom and all that stuff. Like, these are of real concern to real Americans as well. And he's a strong leader. Perhaps he would listen to us. I don't know. But I, I wonder if we're just afraid of offending him because I haven't seen that he's done a lot on that issue. Well, I'll tell you what. Let me, let me bring up some stuff, though, okay? Because I, while I would argue he has not been as strong on that issue as he has been, we'll say, on the pro-life issue or on the Israel issue, uh, he has, in fact, taken some measures, uh, some pro-Christian measures, as it relates to the LGBT issue that were highly controversial uh, for him. Like, for example, he did undo Barack Obama's transgender school policy. So Obama, before he left office, required all public schools to have to make their bathrooms, locker rooms, and showers transgender. He did undo that. He undid transgenders in the military. He did send his solicitor general's office to the Supreme Court to fight alongside Alliance Defending Freedom in cases like Jack Phillips and Christian business owners that are being forced to have to bake gay wedding cakes and such. He's on record as opposing the so-called Equality Act. Uh, in 2017 and 2018 and in 2019, he refused the pressure to declare by presidential proclamation the month of June as National Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender Pride Month. He didn't light up the White House in rainbow colors. Uh, actually, he lit them up in red, white, and blue. Now, he did this year in a tweet acknowledge quote-unquote LGBT Pride Month. I wish he wouldn't have done that, but he didn't do a presidential proclamation. Uh, and this is something I know that he's been pressured to do and he's refused. He also removed transgender as a protected status under Obamacare. He's allowing medical workers now to refuse transgender tr uh, transition treatments that violate their beliefs. He has now ordered that homeless shelters have to be allowed to refuse transgenders to stay there so men thinking they're women can't uh, stay in the same sleeping quarters as women. And by the way, he's also now fighting to allow adoption agencies, Christian adoption agencies and Christian foster care agencies to have the legal right to refuse to have to place people in homosexual homes if they don't want to and not lose their government funding. These are these are positions that have been extremely, you know, controversial according to secular society. He also just recently reversed Obama's policy ordering U.S. embassies to uh, not fly the rainbow flag during June's Pride Month. He did that this year. So he has actually taken a lot of steps that have infuriated the LGBT community, and I think a lot of these steps have really not been on the radar screen of many Christians. Well, and it's incredible and encouraging to hear you outline all that stuff. That's not stuff I've heard a lot about. And uh, even from Christian publications, they're not necessarily focusing on everything you just described. So I'm encouraged by that. But it also, going back to the previous conversation we had about reaching out across the political aisle, aren't those issues that we should be able to agree upon with African-American brothers and sisters in Christ who know and love the Lord and know and love God's word to say that regardless of political party, this is an issue we can you know, uh, agree upon. And, and obviously the abortion issue falls into that as well. And I... I don't know. I would be all about trying to build bridges with African-American Democrats on those kind of issues in the new year if we're looking optimistically to what could come next, because um, 
I don't know. I just think in the past, um, we've allowed political parties to divide us, and we haven't had much in the way of actual dialogue about these kind of issues. I think there's more agreement probably than disagreement on an issue like that. No, that's a great point. Roger, let me throw it to you because I know we've got to take a, a break here in a minute, too. Uh, but this is something that I think Neil makes a very good point. There are a lot of inroads that can be made here. He mentioned African Americans, and, and this is so true. I think that President Trump and the Republicans have a real record to be able to run on here. It's starting to be reflected in the polls. There are two different polls now that have come out showing African-American approval ratings for President Trump, one at 34 percent, one at 34.5 percent. And that's among likely voters, not registered voters, but likely voters. Uh, that's pretty significant. He only got 8% of the vote in 2016, and now he's anywhere from 20 to 35% approval rating. So maybe the message is starting to get out to African Americans, including and especially Christian African Americans, Roger. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point, Bob. And I think, uh, too, one of the issues that we can we haven't really discussed yet that we probably all need to do a better job of addressing is uh, what is the real threat to us as white evangelical guy, white Christian guys, I don't necessarily consider myself evangelical, but wh why do we keep shooting ourselves in the foot on this issue? And I, I have a, a simple solution, I think, that we'll talk about on the other side of this break as this National Crawford Roundtable podcast continues. Dr. Michael Youssef leads the way for people living in spiritual darkness to discover the light of Jesus Christ. This tremendous outreach begins with the proclamation of God's Word through the uncompromising biblical teaching of Dr. Michael Yusuf. Leading the Way is here to equip and strengthen the church to stand strong and to advance the gospel in today's ever-changing world. Listen to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf at ltw.org slash listen, and be sure to mention you heard about their program on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. You're listening to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Neil Boron out of Neil Boron Live in Buffalo, New York. Bob Duco, The Bob Duco Show in Detroit. John Rush, Rush to Reason in Denver. And yours truly, Roger Marsh, The Bottom Line Show in Southern California. Um, the, the issue I brought up just before the, uh, the break here, guys, I'd love to get your comments on is I think one of the biggest challenges for Christians to try to cross the aisle, to talk to African-Americans, talk to Hispanics, uh, you know, those of different ethnicities, who, and Republican and Democrat alike. The biggest challenge for us is there's this kind of white liberal mindset that says, here, let me come in on my white horse and save you. Let me rescue you. Here's exactly what you need. I think God gave us two ears and one mouth to use in that proportion. I mean, I use that analogy a lot. But I, I think one of the ways that we can actually start the conversation is actually by starting asking a question and then just Rick Warren says, show up and shut up. Just listen. And I would love to get your take on, uh, you know, how we can be better listeners in during this current election cycle. What do you think, John? Yeah, I, I think that's well said, Roger. I think, and again, kind of what I said earlier, I think there's times where we, you know, we've got to try to get people to think, you know, more clearly and rationally, take the emotion you know, out of what's going on, especially when it comes to politics, but even sometimes even in the spiritual end of things, you know, the emotional thing can be big. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have them, but there's times where we've got to, we've got to separate the facts from the emotions. You know, Bob rattled off a, a bunch of facts in regards to what Donald Trump has done, uh, even for the, you know, for the Christian, you know, for, for the moral side of the fence, if you would. And, and I think those are things we need to remind other Christians that maybe are not, you know, big Donald Trump supporters of. And Roger, I think, I think to your, your point is well said, just to sit down at times and listen to what the other side says, not, not to give up on where we believe and where we stand. I, I would never say we, you know, we compromise that whatsoever, but to sit and listen and see what they're actually saying 
and then carefully and lovingly interject back into that, hey, well, you know, what what about this? Or did you know about this? Or did you know about that? I, I don't think there's anything wrong with us listening in that way, but then also responding and putting the facts back into the conversation. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. Let's uh, let's do this. And uh, as we kind of wind down uh, the time, there's not a lot of time left. We don't want to spend the whole episode talking about just the political end of this. Uh, let's talk about the body of Christ in general. I mean, we we put away 2019. We move into 2020. And uh, Neil, let me start with you. What, what are some areas that you would maybe like to see the body of Christ change, grow? Uh, what are some things that uh, we need to start moving away from in 2019 and moving more toward in 2020 as a, as a body of Christ? Well, before we go too far, let me just harken back to what we were just saying. I don't want to bring sure. politics back into it necessarily, but Roger said something that I believe deeply, and that is that we need to use the two ears we have more than the one mouth that God gave us <laughs> to really listen to what other people have to say. You know, and what I, what comes to my mind was back in the early 90s, I think it was, I had a conversation with a guy named Mel White. Some of you know who that was. He was a ghostwriter mm -hmm. for some prominent evangelicals, uh, Pat Robertson being one of them. I think Jerry Falwell was the other, honestly, but he did some ghostwriting for them. Then eventually came out of the closet and announced that he was gay, um, wrote a book called Stranger at the Gate. And I invited him to be a part of the talk show I was hosting at the time and, um, and did an on-air debate with a guy uh, named Dr. John Rankin of the Theological Education Institute. And I think, honestly, the transcripts to that are still out there online somewhere. But um, it, it, bottom line is this, that I, I took a lot of heat from listeners for even allowing Mel White to be on the air after he'd announced that he was gay. Why do you even give him the time of day? Why are you allowing him to participate in this? In other words, I think... At, the, at that time, where the church was at in the 90s and stuff, I think people pretty much wanted to stand back and just throw stones. And nothing about what he had to say was anything I wanted to hear in terms of him convincing me that his chosen lifestyle was going to be godly, because biblically speaking, I didn't think he had a leg to stand on with that. But um, hearing from him, allowing people to hear his argument, uh, allowing John Rankin to address that and then kind of moderating, um, I think was important because it gave us an opportunity to really see a perspective that we don't know a whole lot about because this isn't generally talked about in church circles. So to come back to it and what you're really saying here, I think one of the things I'd really love to see in the body of Christ is for us to be a little more open to really hearing what other people are actually saying and then go back to the Word of God and learn from the, the experts that we can hear from, you know, uh, Dr. Ravi Zacharias and other people like that. Learn the apologetic that allows us, Bob, you're an apologist. I love the way that you address so many really difficult issues. But, you know, learn, learn the skill of what it looks like to truly defend God's word from a biblical perspective, and yet in a way that is done with gentleness and respect, like it says in 1 Peter 3.15. So I think, honestly, um, we need to be better equipped at handling God's word. Spend more time in it. Let it transform our lives from the inside out. And then with gentleness and respect, address a lost and dying world that needs to know that we actually care about them. Not just winning elections, not just triumphing on issues, but that we actually care about the souls that, you know, that are affected on the other side of any given debate. I won't say more about it at that point, but at this point, but um, that's kind of where my heart is. I'd love, that's not the only thing I'd love to see different about the church in this coming year, but that would be one thing. You know, that's, that's such a great point that you make, and I think that's a good way for us to 
pivot toward what the body of Christ needs to do in, in 2020. And I want to get uh, you know Roger and John in on this too, uh, Neil, what you're saying. You're right, especially those of us that that really spend a lot of time focusing on the facts and the evidence and whatever, we have to make sure to guard our hearts so that we don't just become cold information producing machines and we lose that sense that the people that we're talking to are loved by God, that they're made in the image and likeness of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we compromise biblical principles. That doesn't mean that we don't stand on what's true, Uh, but we need to We don't need to recognize the opinions and and false teachings of people, but we need to recognize that they are loved by God, made in his image and likeness, and listen to what they say, uh, because that does equip us more to be able to understand where they're coming from and maybe be able to communicate more effectively uh, with them. And let me throw this over to the other guys. I mean, Roger, what's your take on this? How do we do this better in 2020, standing on what is true, proclaiming what is true, while at the same time making sure that we show appropriate love and respect and gentleness to those that we disagree with? How do we how do we walk that line? Well, I think we walk it very carefully, but we walk it very firmly. I mean, remembering that we are standing on solid ground, and a lot of times the people that we're talking to aren't. They're slipping, they're sinking. I try to keep the visual of the fact that sometimes I'll talk with someone who, with whom I would disagree, and you got to discern. Okay, well, who's right? You know, what's right? You know, that type of thing. It takes a lot of uh, it takes a lot of time and intentionality. I know that a lot of people that I have conversations with, where there's some kind of conflict, they're very, very passionate, and they're utterly convinced that they're right. And it's kind of, I wish it were as innocent as saying, it's kind of like when you go to somebody else's house and they play Monopoly differently than you do, you know, and you yeah. kind of figure, well, house rules, I'll go ahead and do it. But in some respects, it really is. And you realize that when you turn the light on and you show them what is real because God has given you the ability to do so, it's like waking somebody up out of a sound sleep in a dark, dark room. And if you turn the light on too brightly, then they'll throw things at you. You're like, hey, get away from me. I can't really handle it, you know. But mm-hmm. as we... As we look at, you know, where we are right now, I think the big light switch turning on for a lot of people in the culture right now happened on November 8th, 2016. I I think there are a lot of folks that I I know very closely for many, many years who we used to have that kind of liberal versus conservative, but we're all in the same boat type of thing. Just, hey, I want a little more paddle, you know, when we're we're rocking along with that. I realized, hey, wait, these folks are fully leftist, progressive, and they're utterly convinced they're right. And they're utterly convinced that I'm the devil. Okay, ready? Go. You know, that's where you start in your conversation. And so I think moving forward, knowing what we really believe listening to what God is telling us to share with other people, not being afraid to turn the other cheek because you're going to get your face slapped, but just hanging in there with people, as you mentioned, Bob, compassionately, you know, letting people know that we really do care about them. Because I think that's a lot of it for a lot of folks is the church doesn't care because they support Donald Trump. And I keep seeing that white evangelical statistic about, you know, how many people were in for Donald Trump. Well, it's pretty similar to how many white evangelicals voted for George W. Bush. So there wasn't a huge paradigm shift, you know, in terms of what happened on Uh, November 8th, 2016. But there are a lot of people that draining the swamp, as I mentioned earlier, I think that goes to not just the White House, but it really just kind of has exposed a lot of people for where the lines of demarcation are more clearly marked. And so it's incumbent upon us to, to make that move. Yeah, that's a good point. John, what's your take on that? I know we got to go into a break here in a minute, but uh, what's your take on what Roger's saying? We do, guys. Let's take a quick break. This is the National Crawford Roundtable. Dr. James Dobson left a successful career in academia to preserve and promote the biblical family in America. 
The radio broadcasting ministry of Dr. Dobson spans over four decades, earning him 17 honorary doctorate degrees and an induction into the National Radio Hall of Fame. Today, Dr. Dobson continues to champion marriage and parenthood through Family Talk. Listen every weekday at drjamesdobson.org and be sure to reference the National Crawford Roundtable podcast when asked how you listen to Family Talk. And we're back, National Crawford Roundtable, myself, Bob, Roger, and Neil. And yeah, Roger, I I think you're exactly right. And I think uh, all of you, I mean, everything we've said today is very appropriate as we head into 2020, especially as Christians. You know, we're going to be around other Christians that maybe don't have the same beliefs as we do, which I know at times is, is hard to believe. I mean, I still struggle, guys, just personally with anybody that would be, you know, a, a so-called Christian, have a belief in Christ, supposedly know the scriptures, and then support the Democrat platform. And one of the things I've encouraged, you know, Democrat Christians even to do is, you know, before you really solidify, you know, a conversation with me, I want you to read the Democrat platform and then tell me as a Christian how that aligns. Because the reality is, if you read the Democrat platform, not any particular person's platform, not Elizabeth Warren, not Bernie Sanders, you know, not not any of those guys, but just read the actual DNC's platform. If you read that, there is no way as a Christian you can agree with that. And to me, that's a pretty easy starting point to just tell someone before we have any kind of a in-depth conversation about this, I want you to read the platform and tell me how as a Christian you can align with that. Yeah, it's an excellent point. Excellent point. Uh, let's do this in our last few minutes here. Uh, I'd like to, now that we're going into a new year 2020, I'd like to get out on the table maybe what our what our hope and our prayer is for the body of Christ. Uh, what and, and I'll I'll just start it off here. I got a couple of them, honestly. Uh, one of them is, and I know this sounds a little bit harsh, but I'm just going to say it: that the body of Christ would learn to care more about what is true and what is biblical than they do about how they feel uh, and the way things make you feel and what affirms me and such. What is actually really true, whether it's in politics, whether it's in culture, whether it's in doctrine, what does God's Word say? Is what I'm believing lining up with God's Word, or do I care more about what my emotions are telling me, what my feelings and my experiences are telling me? Not that emotions and feelings and experiences are bad things, but uh, they cannot trump, pardon the pun, uh, what is true in all areas and certainly what is biblical. Uh, my second hope for the body of Christ is that we would stop being so narcissistic thinking everything is about us. Uh, we tend to look at the world and say, hey, I'm owed something. If you have more than I do, it's economic injustice. I want what you have. We look at God and say, God, your job is to serve me. You're my heavenly vending machine. Give me, give me, give me, because it's all about me. The world revolves around me, and it's about me having my best life now and being as happy as I can be, and it's God's job to make that ha- happen vertically, and it's society and government's job to make that happen horizontally. No. We got to get beyond that and say, you know something, it's not about me. Horizontally, it's about loving my neighbor as myself, showing the love of Christ and preaching the truth horizontally. And vertically, it's about exalting and glorifying God and making it about him. How can I be used to glorify you, God, not how can I use you to make my life better? And then one final thing, my third wish and hope would be that the body would not practice selective judgmentalism, as I often refer to it. We do have a tendency to judge people 
uh, based on what we don't struggle with. So if I struggle in a particular area, I expect everybody to walk in grace. But if I don't struggle in an area, then I look down my pharisaical nose at those who do. And so we do tend to do that sometimes. Oh, look at that person's on the worship team and they smoke. Can you believe that? Okay, well, does it matter that we're gossiping in the parking lot? You know, uh, but whether it's pornography or sex struggles or alcoholism or, you know what, even same-sex attraction, we stand on the truth of what God's Word says, but we don't take, take a sanctimonious, judgmental, look-down-my-pharisaical-nose attitude towards someone who struggles in an area that we don't. Let's extend to them the same grace that we want them to extend to us while at the same time not compromising on what's sin. Those are probably my big three wishes, hopes, and prayers for all of us in the body of Christ as we move into 2020. Uh, let me throw it out to you guys. Neil, what's, what's kind of your... Uh, kind of final hope and wish for the body of Christ going into 2020. I agree with just about every, I agree with everything you've said, but I mean, as far as how it applies to my life, uh, I would underscore much of the same. I saw a poll earlier today. I'm not sure if it was Barna or Gallup, but somebody recently released information. And I think it was like this week um, that 44% of Christians say, eh, you know, being a part of a regular church service you know, being in fellowship with other believers is really not important to their faith. And I, I think it goes back to this idea that like, well, it's, and when I served as a pastor for uh, eight years, uh, I would sometimes run into people that no longer attended church and they would say, you know, Christianity is fine in terms of like loving Jesus, but it's Christians I can't stand. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it, obviously loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then loving our neighbor as ourself, whether it's a believer or non-believer, even an enemy, we're to love our enemies, Jesus said. So how we love other people matters. And what came to mind as you were talking with Philippians 2, you know, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Um, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. But I think it's verse 5 that really jumps out. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You know, Jesus literally cared about this kind of stuff. And it, if we're going to have a heart that really represents him, that we need to kind of live that way. And so I guess an authenticity that says, Lord, start with me, transform me from the inside out. Help all of us to embrace the fact that you came to transform us into the image of Christ, not to make us better people, but to actually one day be broken of ourselves so that we could look more like Jesus and pray that, that God really gives us that kind of passion within the body of Christ. Mm. Roger, what's your uh, hope, wish, and prayer for the body of Christ going into 2020? My prayer is that everyone would recognize the platforms that God provides for us. I know people would look at us and say, well, you guys have platforms because there's broadcast and podcast and writing and speaking, but everyone has a platform everywhere we are. And and when you're called to step on that platform, trust that God's going to give you the words to say and then say it. Uh, my concern in the culture right now is that because it's become so hostile and filled with vitriol that a lot of good godly people would have an opportunity maybe to share the gospel with somebody that they know who doesn't necessarily agree with them politically, theology, or whatever, and they'd say, ah, I just don't, I don't have the time. I, I don't want to get into the hassle. Uh, life's too short. Well, life's too short not to share the gospel with somebody, so that's my, my hope and prayer is that, that we'll do a better job of bracing up for the fact that it's not going to be hugs and high fives and way to go that you knocked it out of the park but rather that we would just be faithful every time God gives us a platform, whether it's uh, on a broadcast medium or just stepping up and talking to somebody who doesn't necessarily think they want to hear the gospel but really needs to. 
Yeah, good words. And uh, John, close this out for us. You know, everything you guys said, I fully agree with. And, you know, I don't want to sound, you know, like I'm just, you know, lock, stock and barrel with what you've all said. But, you know, I, I will. I mean, I agree with everything that's said, although I would like to see and just because of discussions I've had recently, even with different you know, pastors and, and clergy and, and teachers in the churches. I would like to see us as a church and a body of, a body of Christ start learning civics again. I, I think we've had a huge disservice in the church and not teaching people what even, even we as a country are. I've talked about this in previous podcasts. We are a constitutional republic. We are not a democracy. There are certain things that we should be doing as a body of Christ in, in holding and I hate I always hate to use this word. We always say our leaders accountable. Well, let, let, we are the leaders of the country. The politicians work for us. And it's high time as a church. Even we started preaching that and informing people of how our political world here in the United States of America actually works, because I think even as Christians, we've gotten that so backwards. And we've got this belief system in the church that President Trump is Caesar, which he is far from that. He, we don't even have the same political system they had in Rome to even compare the two. So as a church and as a body of Christ, I really my hope this year is is that we will start down that path of really teaching what what really we've lost in society, which is basic civics and understanding what really happens in the world around us. Mm, yeah, great words. Well, uh, gentlemen, it's always great uh, catching up with you. We're looking forward, of course, to a new year together in 2020. And those of you listening, we appreciate, we genuinely appreciate uh, you listening to this podcast through 2019. We appreciate you listening in 2020. Uh, we'd very much appreciate if you maybe on your Apple podcast would rate the podcast, you know, give the podcast five stars. Uh, but we look forward to a great new year. And of course, that Jesus Christ would be glorified and exalted in everything that we do and say. So Neil Boron, Neil Boron live out of Buffalo, New York. Roger Marsh, the bottom line out of Southern California. John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver. Myself, Bob Wait, Duke, before you close this out, Bob, Bob I think we just got to say. Yes, sir. Congratulations to Roger on his upcoming yes. wedding. We're going to be praying for him and wish him the best. Thank congratulations you. Congratulations to you, Roger. Thanks, guys. Yes. All Exciting new challenges for this new season that we're looking forward to bracing together, but uh, very gracious to God for bringing us together and uh, and blessing our union. So I, I, that really means a lot, guys. Thanks so oh, much. That's great. Good for you. Hey, guys, always great catching up with you. And until ne next week, everybody, and uh, through the entire year of 2020, may God be glorified in everything that we do. God bless you, everybody. You too, Bob. Happy New Year. You too. Thanks, Bob. This has been the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast a biblical view of culture, current events, and politics. Thank you for joining us. Download and subscribe to the podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. National Crawford Roundtable Podcast returns with a new discussion each week. Be sure to watch for the notification on your podcast app. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting Company production.